0: Words are not enough to tell you of our love, so listen to our heart. There we go. Definitely was working. As you look at the screen tonight, call him a worm, you may be asking, what in the world are you talking about? Well, let me just ask it this way. When, when you think of a worm, what do you think about? Maybe you think about one of these things. You know, it's one of those earthworms out there crawling around. Some people see that and they want to go fishing, so please don't leave tonight before the sermon's over. Don't want you to get your fishing rod out and do all of that. But when you think about a worm, that's probably one of the things that you think about. That may be the picture that you get in your head. Probably you don't get the picture of one of these things, though. Uh, Sort of looks like a berry on a tree. You know, it may be something to that extent, but that's actually a worm. And when you look at that worm, you say, what in the world is that worm? And, and you know, I've never seen one of those, but they're really something uh, of uh, uh, interest, you know, especially in olden days when uh, people didn't have a lot of different coloring techniques because these worms are actually used, mentioned in the Bible, and they're used uh, to make dye for the different kinds of materials and for the threads and the yarns that were made long, long ago. Not the official name, but the name to which they are referred are the crimson worm and the scarlet worm. That's what they're called. And so when you look at them, you probably don't get the, the, the importance of them. But maybe some passages of Scripture will help us to think about it. In the book of Exodus chapter 26 at verse number 1, the Bible says, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. One of the things that God's tabernacle that they were to construct as they were wandering in the wilderness was this curtain or this uh, tabernacle, this tent and the curtains, the, the walls, if you will, of that tent, they were to be interwoven with scarlet yarn. The scarlet yarn is the yarn that was made from this particular worm that we looked at on the tree. Not only that, but in still in Exodus chapter 26, at verse 31, you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. And it shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. Make a veil. And that veil, of course, inside the temple. But it had within that this scarlet yarn. And that scarlet yarn was made from the dye of this uh, particular worm. Exodus 26 again, you shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twine linen. Again, all around this uh, tabernacle. Uh, In Exodus 27 at verse 16, For the gate of the court there should be a screen 20 cubits long of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen embroidered with needlework. You get the picture, it was quite important, this particular worm was important even to the tabernacle and the building of it. Now one thing that is interesting about this worm is its name. The name in Hebrew is tolaat, tolaat. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correct, especially the way that the Hebrews would do that. But that is the word, the way that it would be used, the tolaat. And when we're thinking about that name, the tolaat, there's something else that comes to mind. You know, we're studying in the book of Judges, we're looking tonight in chapter 10, and we want to pay close attention to verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, after Abimelech there rose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Puah, son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, and he lived at Shemir in the hill country of Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years, then he died, and was buried at Shemir. Well, you know, when I was growing up, I knew a guy in my class, and his nickname was Wormy. Uh, he had a last name I won't call that, but that's what everybody called him was Wormy. When I moved to Tennessee, I was asked by a preacher who was preaching near where we were. F. T. Patton was his name. He says, "Do you know Wormy Wires?" down in Winfield, Alabama, who preaches down there. And I had to tell him, no, I really don't know him until he says, well, other people know him as James Wires. And I said, yes, and he's been preaching there for a long, long time, over 30 years I know at Winfield. But his nickname is Wormy, Wormy Wires. And if you talk to Todd Clippard, I'm throwing names around tonight, if you talk to Todd Clifford and he says something about the preacher in Winfield or he says something to the preacher in Winfield like, how are you doing? And it's always, how are you doing, Wormy? And so that's how he refers to him. I did not know that. It may be okay to have a, a nickname by like Wormy or something like that, but can you imagine a dad naming his son Worm? Because when we look at the word Tola, it's the it's the uh, official, not the official, but it's the proper noun, proper name, if you will, that is derived from that word worm, the Tola at worm. And so as we look at him here, we, we see this Tola, this, this man who is called worm, this, uh, or at least he got his name from the worm that we looked at on the screen. Now, as you look at Tola, We have only two verses that talk about him in the book of Judges. Not much is said in regard to him. What we have is found here in these two verses. And so how in the world will we make a sermon out of these two verses in this passage of Scripture? Well, there are a couple of things I think that we can look at and think about tonight that we can can imagine When we're thinking about Tola here, we understand that only two verses are used, but they span a 23-year period in the history of Israel. Tola is known as one of the minor judges of Israel. We've studied the minor prophets, but Tola is referred to as one of the minor judges. We've already looked at one of them by the name of Shamgar. There are about six, I believe, if I remember correctly, that are referred to as the minor judges. And the thing about it is, when you read about Tola and those 23 years of time, In the period of Israel, we're not told of any major events that took place during his tenure. He just was a judge in Israel for 23 years, and nothing is said in regard to any events that took place there. Now here's one thing that we do know. We do know that before him, Israel had started down a wrong road, hadn't they? We can go all the way back to Gideon, and we talked about Gideon and the things that happened with him. We remember him for the 300 men going, but toward the end of his life, it seems that he became more kingly, and the people wanted to make him a king, and he said, no, don't make me a king, just give me a bunch of money. And he made this thing, and they began to worship the idol, basically, that he made. We also know that Abimelech, his son, began to act like a king, and he went to the folks that uh, were his mother's relatives and people that she had known in her own hometown, and he said to them, he said, hey, you know, do we really want all of the sons of Gideon to be kings over you? Would you rather just have one and make me the king? And they started treating him as though he was the king. And we talked about all of that. But we have Tola who comes right on the heels, if you will, of Abimelech. The Bible says there in Judges chapter 1, after Abimelech, this man came on the scene. And so we know that Israel had started down a wrong road, not only with the, the idolatrous things that they were doing in regard to the, uh, to the, to the uh, idol, the thing that, that Gideon had made, and also in regard to a king when it comes to Abimelech as well. And when we look at it, one of the things that actually comes to my mind is that these people are becoming a danger, are in danger, not from outside forces, but from inside forces. You see, one of the things that we're told there in those two verses, that Tola arose... And he saved Israel. No events are given. Nothing is said about foreign invaders. And so we have to ask the question, who did he save them from? You see, sometimes we simply need to be saved from ourselves. Isn't that correct? Sometimes we need to be saved from ourselves. According to Ezra Uh, Taft Benson, the Secretary of Agriculture under President Eisenhower many years ago, Nikita Khrushchev of uh, the Soviet Union, and many of you who are especially older will remember that name, he said that Khrushchev made this statement. He said, you Americans are so gullible. No, you won't accept communism outright. But we'll keep feeding you small doses of socialism until you finally wake up and find that you already have communism. You won't have, we won't have to fight you. We will weaken your economy until you fall like overripe fruit into our hands. Now that statement, as you look at it, has not necessarily been verified except through what uh, 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 Benson said. But many people believe, based on other things that Khrushchev is said to have uh, said at different times, uh, that it's not out of the possibility that he made that statement. But to bring that up to say this, what is his point? His point is that America possibly could fall not because they've been invaded, but from within. And that's so true a lot of times in societies when they leave goodness and godliness and righteousness behind. And as we look in our day and time, far removed from the time of Khrushchev, we see all of those things as they begin to fall into place, don't we? We see so many who are young and some who are older who are appealing or seeking to appeal to the young. They're calling for socialism and things of that nature here in our own country. And we also see all of the, all of the things that are becoming so accepted in our society. And they're not just accepted, they are uh, thought to be good and right. And if you're against those things, then you must be some kind of, of barbarian. You, you have to be worse than a redneck. To believe some of the things that people are putting forth could be wrong, such as who has the right to marry, man and woman, or man and man, or woman and woman. And, and all of the things that we know that, that we have that are what we would term as Christians' evils, sinful things in our society. You know, sometimes we don't need to be saved from the things that are outside, we need to be saved from the things that are within. You know, there may not have been some magnificent event that marked the tenure of this man by the name of Toa, but as we look at him, he was effective some way in his day in saving his people. We simply have to ask the question tonight. Was he effective in saving his people from the everyday trials and struggles that, they confront, that confronted them, that pushed them away from goodness and godliness? You see, it's not always the big things from which we need to be saved. And so when we look at, at this man, this Tola, here in our passage, that's one of the things that we can learn that we can think of in regard to him. But here's another thing that I really want us to look at tonight. I want us to spend some more time on talking about. You see, Tola's name points us toward one who would come after him. If you have your Bible tonight, you may want to turn to the book of Psalm 22, at verse number 6. The psalmist writes in that passage, he says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. You know, when a, again, when we see that phrase there, when the psalmist says, I'm a worm and not a man, we may think of that old earthworm, but, but he's really talking about that tola at worm. But the question tonight is this who is the psalmist? Talking about. When the statement is made, I am a worm and not a man, who is he talking about? Well, if we go back to verse number one of that same Psalm, here we read these words My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Who do those first words not only remind you of, but who made that statement? as he was hanging on the cross. You drop on down in the same Psalm, verse 7, Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8, and you'll read these words, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. I ask you tonight, who is that about? We're not left to wonder for we turn to the pages of the New Testament in the book of Mark and we find that Jesus was crucified between two robbers, one on his right hand and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you would destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. So the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to, uh, to one another saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who crucified were crucified with him also reviled him. Verse 33 says, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole earth until the ninth hour. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which is to say, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? The psalmist is writing about Jesus here in Psalm 22. He may have had some, some things that were uh, mindful in his life, but he's speaking about our Lord. In verses 1, verses 27 uh, and 8, and also in verse number 6. You see, as we look at that and we see that by inspiration Jesus is referred to as a worm. <coughs> A worm. But again, it's not just any worm. It's that Tola at worm, the crimson worm. Here's something that's quite interesting about that Tola at worm that I haven't told you yet. Nearing the end of its life, the Tola at worms, climb, worm climbs up into a tree. And often it's an oak tree, but there are some other trees that it affixes itself to. And there, this worm dies. But you know what happens before it dies? Before it dies, while attached to the tree, this worm lays her eggs, sometimes a thousand, perhaps even more. And it's interesting that during this process, there's a crimson fluid that's emitted that stains the worm itself, the little baby worms, and also the tree and it's under the protective shell of this worm's body that these eggs grow into the other young tola at worms and it's through her death that she gives life to her offspring she crawls there has her baby babies and dies I understand we're calling little worms babies, but you understand we're just we're not being scientifically accurate in what we call them, but you understand what we're saying. And in doing so, here's this scarlet crimson fluid that stains them. All of these other passages here in Psalm twenty two speak of the crucifixion, the death of our Lord. And he says, I'm a worm. Not just any worm. I'm a tola at worm. By inspiration, Jesus refers to himself as a worm. But now you begin to see some significance, don't you? You see, Jesus affixed himself, put that in quotation marks if you will, to a tree, didn't he? Jesus affixed himself. To a tree. Notice what is said in the book of John chapter 10 verses 17 and 18. Jesus said, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. You see, Jesus allowed himself to be nailed to the tree. It wasn't that anyone held him there. It wasn't that the nails held him there. It was that he submitted to God, and he submitted himself to death. Here's another passage that you may think of. Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. The Bible says, and he is the head of the body, of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in creation under the heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. Did you catch that? I told you about the tola at worm crawls up on the tree, and it's within the shell of that dead worm's body, covered by the scarlet crimson fluid that's emitted from the worm, these little baby worms are able to survive and grow. And when Jesus submitted himself to being nailed to the cross, stayed there on that cross without coming down and calling down more than 12 legions of angels to save him. He shed his blood for us. And that blood that we have, that was shed by Jesus, takes care of those who are where? Inside the body of Christ, according to the book of Colossians chapter 1 that we looked at tonight. It's no wonder then that we read passages such as the one in Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 7 where we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. You think about what Jesus has done for us. The psalmist said that He is a worm. He's this tola at worm. And the picture of the worm being affixed to the tree like our Savior affixed to the tree. And the fact that His blood was shed, staining not only the tree, but making it possible for us to have salvation from our sins. There are other passages of Scripture that have uh, significance as you're talking about this kind of thing. In the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 1 at verse number 18... Isaiah says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. That last word, they're red like crimson, it's interesting that that is the word tola, at. It refers sometimes to the color. Sometimes it refers to the worm in the Old Testament. But it's our sins are like crimson. And though they're like crimson, they shall become like wool. White is wool. You tie that together with what is said in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where one of the elders addressed me, John says, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know, and he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 22 verse 14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter into the city by the gates. Again, as you look at what is said here by the psalmist in regard to our Lord. There's a purpose behind it. There's a picture that's painted. He's not saying I'm a worm as though I'm worthless, but he's giving us a hint. He's giving us something to look at, to understand. People who caught the name as it was used would say, why was he saying I'm like a scarlet or a crimson worm? Why am I like that? They would have been familiar with those kinds of worms. As far as I know, we don't have a whole lot of them around here. But they would have understood that. They would have seen some significance in the statement that was made. But even more, we have the opportunity to gain and see more significance. They wouldn't have understood all about the Lord and what he was to do in giving his life. Not even the apostles who were with him, who walked with him for three years, understood everything about his life and about his death. But today, through inspiration, we have God's Word written and recorded for us. And we can see these pictures that God paints for us. Unlike Tola, who died and was buried at Shamir, according to the book of Judges chapter 10 at verse number 2, Unlike him who who died in that way, Jesus died, was buried, and rose, and is now at the right hand of the throne of God. And his his name, Tola's name, was a Savior. This man was a Savior of Israel. Again, we don't know what he saved them from, perhaps themselves. But isn't that sort of what Jesus has done for us in saving us from our sins? Who causes us to sin? Oh, well, it has to be the devil who does it. No, James said that we sin after we're enticed and drawn away after our own lusts. Sometimes we need to be saved from ourselves in more ways than one. Jesus can save the ordinary and the extraordinary sins that we commit. And so as we think about him, Tola had a name that meant worm. Jesus, by inspiration, is called a worm. Maybe we didn't see that. Maybe we hadn't understood that. Maybe we'd never studied that before tonight. But hopefully, it'll spur some thinking in your own mind and cause you to dig even further. As we close our lesson tonight, I need to ask you a question. Has your robe been washed white in the blood of the Lamb? You know, that's a, a good question within itself. How do you take blood that's crimson and make a white robe out of it? Well, again, figurative in nature but he's talking about the cleansing power, the dark stains of sin that we have in our life that we need saving from. And it's only through the blood of Christ that we can stand pure and just. We can have that white robe, if you will, standing before God. See, it's only through Him that we can be saved. Perhaps in the day of Tola, Judges chapter 2 or chapter uh, 10 verses 1 and 2 perhaps he was just the man to come on the scene and do what God needed him to do we know Jesus was the man the god man who came on the scene and did just what we needed him to do Maybe you're here tonight and you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, whatever your need might be. If you do need to respond, come right now. As together we stand and